This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not gonna talk! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice. Joined alongside, as always, by Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. And the last time we all spoke was after Game 2. It was a 1-1 series. And now we speak after Game 5, and it's a 3-2 series for the Islanders after they won last night at TD Garden 5-4. And honestly, what was probably the most frustrating game in the most frustrating series that I can remember in some time. And... uh, you know, I have my fair share of thoughts. I want to get you guys to give your initial thoughts before we jump into uh, the biggest talking points of last night coming out of the game, which would have been officials and the play of Tuka Rask and what they do going forward. But before we get into that stuff, how are you guys doing and uh, what jumped out to you? Uh, well, like, frustrated is the word. That's that's exactly what that game was because the Bruins start so well, completely dominate for about 18 minutes. Uh, but can't extend their lead. They get to one nothing. They can't get it to 2 nothing. Brad Martian misses an open net. Second game in a row, someone on that top line has missed an open net. Uh, then just an absolutely horrible call, and that becomes a theme. So I think that was the only truly horrible call against the Bruins. Obviously, the bigger problem with the fishing was the calls they missed on the Islanders. Absolutely. Just like three or four just blatant penalties by the Islanders that Go on call. I'm sure you'll agree with me because Scott and I were there. Where you might not have been able to see it on TV, the referees were. It was not like their backs were turned while the penalties that they missed um, weren't called. They saw Bergeron get take a hit up high, and they saw 
Craig Smith take a high stick in the face, and they yeah. just kind of turned the other way, whereas as soon as the Islanders had something catch them up high, it was, you know, arms up right away. So I think that maybe the best word for me, I guess, maybe was, like, nonsensical. Like, it did, the game didn't make sense. The calls, there were, there was just no sense in any of what they were letting go and what they were calling. Uh, it was, I guess, for fans, it was frustrating but also confusing. Like, there's really... You're, you're, and for the team too, there's nothing you can do about it. Like, it's a, it's a hopeless situation for you. And when it keeps like adding on, so it, this isn't the first game of the series where it's been like that. It just kind of seems like something else is is you know out there against you, rather than you're you're not beating yourself. The Islanders aren't necessarily beating you. It's it's just a kind of a factor that you can't control. And and something that drove me crazy was, and I told this to Scott at the game. In the intermission, the NBC broadcasters called the Bruins penalties undisciplined. And I was like, undisciplined isn't really the word I would use, like, for this game. Like, sure, you don't want to take penalties at all, but some of them were just, it just didn't make sense. It wasn't like, you know, Marshawn tapping someone in the face with a stick to piss him off like he was doing to Anthony Mantha in the Washington series. Like, it wasn't that kind of penalty that was getting called. And I just thought that was just completely way off base that they were being undisciplined. And that's why they ended up giving up three power play goals. Yeah. Like I said, I think the Crowley one was only the only one that I thought was just a blatantly horrible call against the Bruins where that was like, he barely even touches the guy with his stick, much less slashes him. Uh, Just not even close. Like, I think I tweeted, like, if you're going to call that a penalty, then you're calling 400 slashes a game. Uh, Especially like the Islanders had, the Bruins had possession so much in that first period, and there was plenty of stick work from the Islanders. Like, they, they had sticks on guys, and they didn't call it, which is fine. Like, if that's going to be your standard for the night, okay, you're going to let a little bit of stick work go. That's okay. Like, we've all seen plenty of games like that. But then to, like, call it the first time the Bruins do it, and it's barely anything, it's just like, w- like, what is going on? And, you know, I generally don't... Like, I try not to complain about refs too much, and I generally think when... Coaches do it. It comes across as very whiny. Uh, I rarely think that refs decide games. Like, game four, for instance, is one where I thought the refs were poor. I thought it did hurt the Bruins more than the Islanders, but I didn't think it decided the game. And I didn't think that was a top seven or eight reason the Bruins lost game four. Game five, and Cassidy said after the game, and I agree with him, like, I do think it had a tangible effect on the outcome of the game because that bad call in Corrali leads to a power play goal. The missed high stick uh, against Craig Smith, Islanders score right after that. So like that's two that's two goals that that are off the board. If if they just make make obvious calls or no or no no calls. And not to mention those are momentum changers as well because you know when when Marshawn misses the empty net, it's like okay well the Bruins are so close like they're buzzing right now and then all of a sudden they t- they call that penalty on Corrali and and the momentum completely switches the other way. The game's tied. And like you mentioned, they when they miss a call on Smith, that's a chance that the Bruins had to get momentum in that game. So they could have went on the power play and, and you know changed the direction of the game. It, it's just completely there's no knowing what would have happened if they actually got those calls right because this this could have been you know instead of the Bruins being down uh, by three goals in the third period, they could have been leading by three in the third period. It's just like such a different game. That's why I say it's like it's nonsensical. Like. There's no explaining a lot of it, and it's it's a major cause of frustration. And Cassidy obviously tried not to get himself in trouble 
uh, in the post game uh. press conference. I think he wanted to, but if but he's kind of like me, where I'm like, I'm gonna be nice, and I start, and then but like once I get myself going, I just go and go, and I'm like, okay, now I'm swearing. Yeah, right. now I, I'm I, think, like I think angry. I think Cassidy knew he was gonna be getting fined. I think. I think. He, I, think I think he. If he knew he was gonna get fined, he should have went full Tortorella. I think. Uh, I think Jimmy Murphy probably should uh, hand over maybe. At least a thousand of the twenty-five yeah. to to Bruce. Well, you in the, know, in the, in the, every single reporter knows what they're, they know. They're well, dangling it. In the like. in the presser, Jimmy was like, uh, "Bruce, I'm not trying to set you up or anything, but <laughs> so, but look, but here's yeah, a twenty-five thousand. Yeah, fine. I mean, <laughs> no, nah, I mean, Cassidy, Cassidy knew going to that press conference, he was gonna he was gonna go off on. Uh, he knew somebody was gonna bring it up, and when and when they did, he was gonna be very transparent and honest. And you know, obviously, I think a few of the comments. You know that the league probably doesn't like is you know the New York Saints thing and and this and that and was he was he that far off base with that though? It, it's it's it doesn't matter if he is or isn't. Those are the comments that the league is is going to uh, now. Their statement may say, you know, for questioning if you know officiating, but it, it, that look, I, I I'm glad Bruce did it. I'm just saying, like you know, those are some of the comments. But just to you know get back to the games real quick. Um, Scott brought up game four. And uh, there's a common theme between Game 4 and Game 5 that I wanted to touch on before I get into the officiating. Because these are things that the Bruins um, are shooting themselves in the foot with. And I wanted to talk about um, reasons why the Bruins are losing outside of the officiating before I get into the officiating. So in Game 4 and Game 5, both games, the Bruins get the lead. And they cannot extend it. And in Game 4, we talk about officiating. The reason that the officiating screwed the Bruins in Game 4 was because they got an extra penalty, uh, power play after scoring their first goal because Barry Trotz stupidly challenged the goalie interference that there was none to be seen. And then the Bruins get a power play right away. So that's four minutes of straight power play time on the road. You extend the lead. Now we're talking. Not but no, only... as soon as the penalty kill ends, Palmieri scores. Yeah. So it's tied. Well, it's, yeah, well, Palmieri scores because the Bruins don't even gain any momentum on the power play. No. It wasn't even a good power play. They did nothing. Game five, same thing. I'm watching it here, and I'm talking to Eamon, one of the producers here. Bruins are up one nothing in the game. They're all over the Islanders' net, all over their zone. They're skating circles around them, and they're up one nothing. Great shot from Pasta, and yet it feels like it's still 0-0 because you just know. You've seen it too many times where the Bruins come out flying, but they aren't able to extend a lead against a stingy team like the Islanders, the Blues, or whomever, you know. And then you just know something's going to happen. I don't know what, I don't know when, I don't know how, but somehow their opponent is going to get that first break, and it's going to go in. And sure as shit, it did. Like that, that, that. You know, now we can get into the officiating in a bit, but my biggest problem is this, guys. It's always been consistency, and for 18 minutes, the refs set the standard of quote unquote, we're going to let the boys play. And then 18 minutes into the game, Corrali gets called for that. Fine. Because in today's NHL, what the ref is seeing is Dobson in the slot. Nobody's in front of him. He has a scoring chance on the goalie, one on oh. And then Corrali's stick impedes his hands. I don't agree with it, but that's what they see. Fine. You want to call it? Fine. I think it sucks. It's a bad call. It changes momentum. But now you've reset the standard of the game. And so you cannot tell me that... Leo Komarov, Matt Martin, Casey Zizekas, Cal Clutterbuck, Scott Mayfield. Go down the list. You can't tell me that none of them did anything equal to or more than that slash on well, until, <laughs> until 39 minutes into the game when they got well, their first power play. Yeah, even if it were just even just take like the high sticks out. Trent, David Krejci had a chance cycling through the slot yeah. 
Travis Zajac clearly hooked him to the point where, like, Krejci end up turning, like, 45 degrees. No call. And it's like, if you're calling, and that was, like, early second period. It was, like, right after the, I think it was, you know, probably four minutes of game action after Corelli's hook, or slash, or whatever they called. Zajac does that, and it's like, what do we do? Like, that was just a penalty four minutes ago. And now, call and, and now it's not. Don't call anything. It, like, it's it's on the puck. It's not away from the play. So you're obviously staring right at it. I mean. Bruce said, Scott, Bruce said after the game, he was like, <laughs> amidst other comments in his $25,000 fine, uh, he said something like, look, I'm not sitting here saying that the calls that went against us sucked. They didn't. But his point is, but they're doing the same thing. So you can't just like, again, you you Corrali gets called for a slash, and like if it's if it's February, if it's the regular season, I see that that call being made. But you set a standard. We're letting the boys play circa 2011 Game Seven against the Lightning. We're not going to call anything, and then all of a sudden you call I that slash. That's... But fine, call that slash. But you can't tell me that it took 39 minutes into the game for the Islanders to do the same thing or or worse. And oh, by the way, you know what happens. The Bruins get my biggest pet peeve in all of hockey, the abbreviated power play. I cannot stand when the refs call a makeup call or whatever with like 50 seconds on the clock because it sucks because you don't have enough time to get momentum at the end of the period. Oh. Then the other team gets 15, 20 minutes to rest, and then you have a fresh device. So all it is is a one face off of the Islanders and a dump down the other end, and your power play is done. So I have an, speaking of that Bruins power play late in the second, I have an issue with that that is tied into – something you touched on uh in game four when they get that power play after the you know the bad challenge yep and they don't shoot end of that second period they're on the power play they look like a basketball team running down the clock for the final shot at the buzzer and it's like guys you can shoot literally at any time during these 50 seconds like you don't have to wait till there's five seconds left and then so last game late in regulation the bruins didn't have a shot on goal in the final five minutes as they're trying to tie it. You mean last game, night, game four? In game yeah, four. Yep, yep. Last night in game five, they had one shot on goal in the final four minutes trailing by a goal, and that came with 3.9 seconds left when Krejci just flings it at the net. It's like... For, and they get a bunch of shots five on five. Like, they have no problem getting the puck on net five on five throughout the course of the game. For some reason, they get in these situations where they have a man advantage, whether it's power play or extra attacker... And when they should be their most desperate, it's like they start looking for the perfect play, and they get too cute, and there's too much passing. And it's like, guys, just shoot. Like, it's cliche, but you literally can't score without shooting. So get the puck on net. You have an extra attacker. Chase down rebounds. Get second chances. Like, work for it. But they keep settling. They keep trying to look for these perfect plays, and they're not shooting. And it's like, yeah, yeah, credit to the Islanders. They're a great team with the lead. They do take a lot away, no question about it. They're a great defensive team. But you have the puck. like You have chances. It's not The Islanders aren't so great defensively that you go five minutes and have no chances to throw the puck on net. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like a- a- Andy Green, like he, oh, what is he, Colton Pareko all of a sudden? Like, it, they have a couple good players on the back end, for sure, no doubt about it. But, you know, I just, it, it's frustrating to me when we are now, what, including overtimes, 17 periods into this series, and I feel like the Islanders have been the better team overall in, like, three of them, maybe three and a half. And it's and it's just constant Bruins out shooting them two to one. And 
it's so it's so infuriating because penalties aside, guys, we all agree that the officiating was you know suspect at best yesterday, um, last night. But look, kill off a penalty, like kill off a penalty. Well, and, and, and that's what so and that's what I I wrote about in my column for today was just about how much the Bruins have missed Brendan Carlo and Kevin Miller on their penalty kill so far uh, since Miller went out uh, in the end of the Capitals series and Carlo went out uh, two games ago in the Islanders series. It, Carlo and Miller are guys that take up so much time on the penalty kill. And, and not to mention, those are those are two of their defensemen that they really rely on for that. Like, I know they need Grizzlick and, and Riley for other things, but those two guys don't spend pretty much any time on the penalty kill. Uh, and But they lose two guys that spend so much time uh, back there, and, and they're pretty effective. I, I had a stat pulled um, from, if you look at last series when Carlo was on the ice, the Bruins were uh, killed off 90% of Washington's power plays. This series, uh, since Carlo's been gone, they've only killed off 50% of the power plays, and I, I mean, he's a big presence back there, a good shot blocker. I think the penalty kill is really, really hurting uh, without him or, or Kevin Miller back there. Yeah. I agree. I, I think that's definitely part of the problem, but part of it is also just execution. Like, yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, last night, one of them, Sean Crowley has a, the puck on his stick with a chance to clear and doesn't. Like, that's not person. corelli has been part of your penalty kill for years. Carlos, he knows what to do. Carlo's not helping that. Yeah, no, and he just, not does, helping he just doesn't execute. He just doesn't make the right play. Um, And then there was the, the final one, the final, the third of the game, the third power play goal of the game for the Islanders. Uh. Tenorti has a stick broken, and then Coyle, <laughs> Coyle gives him a stick. Coyle doesn't have a stick, and you're essentially in a five-on-three situation. And that, once you saw that happening, you're like, okay. And then they, they just kind of like yeah. get closer and closer and closer, and, and they know that they have you right where they want you, and they end up scoring on that. I mean, you can you can, you can can look at the game, guys, and you can say that the call on Corrali was BS, and it was, right? Especially at that time in the game, and the Bruins had momentum, although they hadn't extended the lead, like I said, which is, was obviously costly, and you kind of knew it was going to be. But look, you know, you know, at some point in a game, you're gonna take penalties anyway, whether it's that or or later on. And the Islanders had three goals on three shots on on their first three power plays, and you, it's 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 on it's on it's on everybody. It's on the defense that are out there for not. Look, McAvoy was slow to get to Barzell on the first goal in, in, in the first period. Okay, and and Tuka's you know, he he goes down a little too early for my liking, and then. Um, the second one was a broken play. If, if, if you look at the slow-mo, literally pinballs off of Clift, both of Clifton's skates, goes right to Paul Mary, who just, you know, sits at the post and just gets, you know, the most lucky bounces. And then the Eberle goal was essentially a five-on-three, like you said, Bridget, cause it, or I forget which one you guys said it, because this Tenorti stick broke. Um, and again, they beat Rask high. It's almost like the book is out on him a bit. And so you can sit there and bitch all you want about the officiating, but... You, they're gonna get their power plays at some point in the course of a game, and you have to be able to kill them off. It doesn't matter if Carlos out or Miller's out. Like you gotta, Sean Corrali, you gotta ice the puck, bud. Like that, you're in the middle of the slot. You gotta ice it. And I don't yeah, know what you're course, thinking. Of course, the guys that were there did not have their best performance. I, my point is just that those two guys are a big help. Um, when they oh, have yeah. them in, so and that there's no denying that fact. And it, it just it gives other people. Um, more support. Like, Riley's not going to come in and kill any time on that penalty kill. Like, he's not going to no. be able to come in and help McAvoy. McAvoy was on the ice for all three uh, 
power play goals against in the last game, and he was paired with a different person every single time. He was with Lausanne, then he was with Clifton, then he was with Denorti. So they they all were on there trying to you know pick up the slack for for Carlo and Miller missing, and McAvoy's out there pretty much the entirety of the penalty kill, taking up so many minutes. Um, obviously it would be helpful if he had some more people back there, but, you know, like I said, Riley and Grizzly aren't well, really going to step on the ice for that. If you look at their defense, guys, and Scott, I mean, I think you more so missed those two guys five-on-five. Five than the. We could talk about the penalty kill because it was so glaring last night, but five-on-five, five, you're missing Carlo and Miller because you're looking at a decor right now with Charlie McAvoy and Matt Grizzly and Mike Riley, who I like, but oftentimes it seems like he has a piano on his back when he's going to get pucks in the corner. It's like, hey, get a little pep in your step. You know these guys are going to be on you too hard, right? Um, but, you know, then you have, you know, Tenorti, who he is what he is, and Clifton, who, you know, he's limited, but he works hard. And Lozano's a young guy. So this decor is not a championship decor right now. We talked about it in previous episodes where if they're healthy, this decor can go far. They can bring them far. This decor is like middle of the season banged up right now, and it's not good enough. And you're seeing that with the Josh Bailey goal, the breakdowns in front, and the Brock Nelson goal. You know, Craig Smith flips the puck high off the glass, and then uh, Pellick catches it. Fine. But then why is it automatically a three-on-two down low? Like, where did everybody go? So this team is having defensive uh, coverage issues, even five-on-five right now, despite all the shots that they're putting towards the Islanders in the yellow zone. Defensively, they're not great right now. No, I, I mean, I guess like I'm not as concerned about five on five just because I think the Bruins have been so good five on five generally. You're right. Like, look, uh, Carlos specifically is a big loss because that rounds out your top four and gives you two pairs you feel good about rolling out any time. Yeah, he compliments Riley in a way. That yeah. The other whereas don't. when Lozon's with Riley, it's it's very shaky, and I thought. I didn't think Lozon was bad last night. I, didn't I, think I so. thought, I mean, th- that one goal he needed to tie up. Uh, who who was? I think it was Peugeot who who laid it off in the slot there yeah. for Bailey, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he needed to tie up Peugeot's stick, whether it was on the pass coming in or the pass going out. Like he's there and he just doesn't tie him up. So that one was so that was costly. But like, I, like I thought Lozon actually made some good plays on the offensive zone. Um, but yeah, obviously you're you're better with Carlo. Carlo's a better player than Lozon, and that bumps Lozon down to that third pairing where he's, you know, that's more where he should slot in. Uh, you know, Tenorti really shouldn't be playing like multiple games for you in a second round series. He's just he's so limited. Well, and that kind of brings us back to the fact they're also missing Jakob Zaboral, and he's been out for about a month, and I'm not sure they're. Close to getting him back. Well, I think he, he'd been skating. I don't know if he's had any sort of setback, but he he's been on the ice. But I, I mean, haven't he, heard he has, them give an update on him. He hasn't played in so long that it's like yeah. I don't know what you would get be getting from Zaboral at this point. But he was a guy that they relied on in the season quite a bit, a lot more than Genorti. Yeah, but Zaboral, I think, had really fallen off later. In the, like he, I don't know if it was a rookie wall or what, but he, I thought he started okay and then fell off quite a bit. Uh, this quote just came across my, my Twitter feed. Barry Trotz was asked about the refs and if there's a benefit to, quote-unquote, working them like Bruce did last night. He says, quote, I don't work them. I respect them. Which, That's rich. Uh, which, which, <laughs> right. doesn't, which doesn't help Bruce's old New York Saints, um, you know, on Barry's 
we have it. That that just goes to prove Bruce's point. Yeah, like, they, yeah. They're the Saints. They don't do anything wrong. You Barry know. Trotz would never work the officials, which no. is why on, on Sunday he definitely didn't say that the linemen will take care of Patrice Bergeron cheating on face-offs. He absolutely did not say that. That was not working the officials, guys. Now, I will say, like, I don't I don't know how much of a benefit Bruce did, though, last night because I, I feel I, like I feel like sometimes the team could take on the temperament of their coach, and I, I love Bruce, but... When now, what now? When you when you when you've you know um, questioned the the integrity or the um, professionalism or, or just whatever of the officials and the league, that typically doesn't really bold well for the fall, the, the games to come. I, well, I I don't think the league's gonna make okay. We gotta help the Bruins. I think maybe to get a Bruins Canadians Cup Finals. Um, but other than other than that, I think like I think the league's gonna be like f these guys. You know. So I, I guess they're supposed to not react to that either. That's part of their job is to not react. Well, to they're that. not obviously, but but what's it going to change, Brian? Like it's they're already doing that. Yeah. The, so I guess that's what I would say is like the officiating is already bad enough. Yeah, so I, I, like, I don't I don't think you're hurting yourself anymore. And that's I true. think that's true. I think when uh. when coaches go down this route, <laughs> it also depends on like does your team buy what you're saying? Like do they think it's genuine? Because in this case, I think it is. Like it is during the com- there was a I tweeted this out. There was a commercial break last night, so like obviously people watching TV probably didn't see it. But Bergeron was talk talking to one of the refs in a very animated fashion, like as fi- as fired up as I think I've seen him in a long time. Like borderline yelling, gesticulating with his hands, and you, like when Patrice Bergeron is doing that, you know they are just completely fed up and like over it. So I think Cat, I think they probably look at what Cassie did last night, and it's kind of more of a rallying point. Like I don't think they look at that and be like, "Oh, come on, coach! Like what? You know, what well, are you doing? Why are you bringing us this negative attention?" Look, he had to say it. He he had to yeah. come out and, and actually say how he felt about it. First of all, he never holds back that anyway. He doesn't really have much of a filter. It, it's you know he doesn't Bill Belichick anyone, but. There's no way he goes into that press conference and doesn't address the fact that the officiating really affected the game, and he said so last night. I mean, there's no other way around it. He was going to have to say something about it. Otherwise, I don't know what that does uh, to your locker room. Like, what, they're just supposed to, you know, pretend like it didn't happen? Yeah. No, so he, he has to say something. The fans would be absolutely no. out of their mind if he just did not stand up for them. Boston fans would not have been happy with him if he didn't say anything about the officiating. I completely agree. I think it was justified. I think the team has his back. I think they feel the same way. I guess my my question is like you know if game if game six gets underway and you know there are some calls that are missed again right away like you know could 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 a Pasternak or McAvoy like turn around to the official like what the f- well, come on like this is you know, like, can it get in their heads I guess not not so much not so much Bruce can the officiating get in their heads you know what I mean and I think this I hope Bru- not this Bruins team to me I think. I mean, when you, like you said, has, Scott, when Bergeron's getting heated between whistles off camera, you know, when, when the commercial break, that tells you just how in in their yeah, heads. But they, but I, they I ended think up responding. Like, they right? did. They, they did. But trying yeah. to come, they almost came back in that game. They're, they, I think that their heads are at the right place where they can they can realize that they're facing adversity in more ways than one, more ways than just against the Islanders, also against the refs, and they're able to respond in the way they did last night. Uh, because they have veteran guys, and, and that's that's who was scoring in those situations. Like Pasternak, Marshawn, Krejci, those are the guys that were able to step it up when they already knew they were facing, you know, pretty much Islanders for, and refs against the Bruins. But 
Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to have an issue with that. I, I think that they they know what they're going to get into. I, I assume they they really have to expect sim- something similar in Game 6. I, I don't know why you wouldn't expect that this almost exact situation could be what you're dealing with in Game 6. In that case, you really have to work on the penalty kill because you know you're going to be back there uh, having to kill something off, whether or not you think it's fair. Um, so it's just going to be a same same situation. And they handled it fine last night. I know they didn't win, but there wasn't really much else they could do. They were trying to claw out of a three-goal hole, and they almost did it. Yeah, I think I think this Bruins team is strong enough mentally to be able to hold on one side of their brain that these refs suck and we're getting screwed, and also fight through it and keep playing hard. Like, I, I don't... They don't strike me as a team that's looking for excuses or that's, you know, going to let something get them off their game. Like, I think they're, at the very least, I think they're a team that has heart and keeps fighting. And that might not be enough to get them out of this round. They may very well lose in six or seven. Uh, but I don't think I don't think it's going to be because they thought, oh, well, the refs hate us and, you know, we're screwed. What can we do? Like, I think they're going to fight no matter what. They might be pissed off while they're doing it. Hey, maybe that even helps get some guys going. Like, uh, you know, maybe they adopt the the us against the world mentality, and that's Mm. that's how they go into this. So I don't think it's going to – like, if they lose, I don't think it's going to be because, you know, mentally they couldn't deal with uh, bad calls or officiating. That ultimately, you know, might be a factor, but I think the Bruins will will play through it and at least – give you a good hard effort in game six. I, th- I think if they lose, guys, it's going to be because their defense is depleted right now a little it bit. It would be huge if they got, could get Collar back for game six because game seven might not even happen. So if, if he's going to come back, he needs to come back in game six. They don't want to rush him, obviously. But if he's healthy and ready to go, that's huge for the Bruins if, if they can get him back before this game. On the road, uh, he'd, I think he'd make a pretty big difference if he had played the last two games. Yeah, I just don't know. Even if he gets back in, if you know how effective he'll be. I mean, you're coming off of what they're, you know, Fitzy kind of reported, maybe something nerve damage, whatever. But regardless, you know, I think it's going to be because their, their defense isn't where it should be, um, personnel wise. Um, and I also think it's because look, um, they're not getting scoring from enough people. The the other concerning part about this, and I actually do have, um, you know, a little bit more optimism going into games six and seven. I, I, this series is far from over. Um, you know, we're talking about a Bruins team that, you know, uh, staved off elimination in Toronto a few years ago on the road. Um, they forced a Game 7 in the Cup Finals in St. Louis when they could have won a Cup. Uh, you know, they, they can win on the road and, on the brink. It's not a big deal. Um, they won Game 7 on the road against the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, but that's, aside from Bergeron and Martian, that doesn't really apply to everybody else. But, yeah, I mean, still, yes, um, the logo did. Um, but... You know, I just think that, you know, last night was tough. Uh, you know, th- there's the goaltending situation that we just don't really know about. Oh, the other thing I was, yeah, the other thing I was going to say was the, uh, they're not getting scored from enough, enough, enough places. You know, that's the concerning part to me about last night is that Pasta scores another two goals, Marshan scores a goal, um, and you're still, you're losing these games. And so, where's, you know, where is Nick Ritchie? The, the Coolman for DeBrusque didn't pan out at all. Um, you know, is Coyle, limited because of his line mates or is he you know and, and the fourth line guys I don't know if they've scored a goal together since the trade deadline well, here, as effective as they've been on the four check at times they're not scoring any goals and now Lazar's out yeah I was gonna say that the issue with the the fourth line last night and, and part of the situation with 
it's it messed up the third line as well. So when Lazar goes out, it was the Bruins was their fourth line center. They start playing Coil with on the third line, and then they start putting him back with Wagner on the fourth line for switching yeah. off shifts. I don't think that they were happy with with the effort out of Coleman um, either. That's I think that's why they started mixing Coil in on the fourth line instead. I think they probably were early. I mean, look, I thought all all four lines were rolling in the first period. In the first period, but but as the game went on and once they lost Lazar, I don't see why you're playing. You're deciding to give Coil more minutes with the fourth line and roll that group out. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was kind of like alternating because it was basically like a three-line rotation and whatever line Coyle was out with kind of like flipped each time through the cycle. Yeah. So it was like your your top two lines were out for two out of every three shifts and then it was Coyle with whoever to But theoretically, the, if, the third. If, if Richie and Coolman are playing as well as you want them to, they should be getting more of those shifts with Coyle than, yeah. than the, four, the two guys remaining on the fourth line. I just, uh, look, I... I I just don't. I question. Bruce has been out coaching this series. Um, I don't really think there's any questions about it. I think I think it's not the first time he's been out. He's been out strategized, out adjusted over the course of a seven game series. I think. Um, you know, obviously the Blues they didn't really respond well to how the Blues kind of. Um, you know, Craig Berube made a comment in that series too after Game Three that kind of changed the tenor of that series about the officiating and it worked in their favor. But then the Bruins couldn't really adjust. I think Barry Trotz is is making adjustments on the power play. Um, the Bruins are still effective on their power play, and five on five, the Islanders just stick around and 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 they wait for something to happen, and 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 that's what they do. But I just think that you know going forward, guys, the other big storyline out of this game because we've talked about the officiating, we've talked about the penalty kill, uh, we've talked about not extending the lead. The other big storyline out of this game is the goaltending. I think that you know Tuka lets in four goals on sixteen shots. Were they all his fault? No. Did he make a save, a timely save, when his team needed him to after storming the Islanders' net for 18 minutes in the first and then another seven in the second after Marshan tied it and Varlamov is standing on his head, literally standing on his head? Um, these, aren't, these aren't perimeter shots. I mean, not, they're not all perimeter shots. Taylor Hall has a, has a one-time bid from the circle. Like These guys, they're getting great shots, and Varlamov is there. Coming down the other end, and... Maybe it's back inflammation. I don't know. But Tuca looks like a fish out of water on the, the Bailey goal specifically. I, I didn't. He looked like he was falling over. Bruce Cassidy, after the game, said that it was you no know, maintenance and we decided to take him out. He could have gone in if, we, if he wanted to. Um, he said but, he wasn't 100%. Yeah, but he said that he could go back in if, if, uh, if it was up to Tuca. He would have gone back in. So my question to you, Scott, and I think that Bruce is uh, you know, saving face a little bit for Tuca. Um, they pulled them. They thought that it was the best chance to give them a, a chance to win in this game, spark the team. It wasn't Tuca's night. And anybody who believes that the Bruins took him out of the game because he was too hard to continue is is being a little um, naive. I think that the Bruins pulled him because he didn't like his game. And now we have a situation where uh, going into game six, we don't know who the starter is going to be or how confident we are or how healthy he is. But just your, your guys' um, take on the goalie switch in the second intermission and what that means going forward. I mean, I, th- I, I think health is definitely a factor. And I, th- I look, I think it's both. I think he didn't play his best, and he was also banged up. And whether, you know, his health causes him to not play as well, whatever the case is, like, look, the word maintenance has lost all meaning in the NHL because it just gets used now when a guy's hurt. Like, Guy, guys miss practice with injury and they call it maintenance. And it's like, 
No, no, like a maintenance, a maintenance day is used to be like you're a little sore and you just take a day off. And now it's like he twisted his ankle and he gets a maintenance day. Like, no, no, he's hurt. He's injured. Like, you don't get a... Ma- Andrew Raycroft was on the Greg Hill show uh, Tuesday morning and was like, there's no such thing as a maintenance period in game five of a playoff game. No. Like, like, what are we talking about? You don't get maintenance, but, you know, in the no, third for, period of... For 20 minutes, like... Yeah. Like, you're either pulled because you're not playing well or you're too hurt to continue. So, or or the combination of the two, which is probably what I think it is. I don't know what the exact split is in that equation. But, yeah, like, look, we know Rask has not been 100%. He has said it. Cassidy said he's dealing with nagging injuries. So, we know that's the case. Uh, I don't know. What really stood out to me last night, so Cassidy, you know, gives his answer about the decision and then is asked do you expect rask to be ready for game six and he says i assume he will and i'm like how like i don't know what his reasoning is for saying that but how can you assume anything at this point you just have to pull him out of a playoff game i think that kind of gets to brian's point that he knows like he's not hurt enough to be pulled out like of a full like the rest of the series well then i I personally don't think he's helping anything then by by bringing that up by like if it is just performance related I don't think you're helping anything by bringing up the injury again or saying it's maintenance because Cassidy did this the other day, early in the week, when he said he's been dealing, last week, when he said he's been dealing nagging injuries, and then a day or two later, he was asked about it again, he says, I think that's been overblown. And it's like, well, you said he's dealing with nagging injuries. Tuca went on the Greg Hill show and said his health isn't where he wants it to be, like, Sometimes, sometimes but, too good. And now, and now you just cite maintenance when you pull them out. So it's like, are we still making too big of a deal of it? Is it still overblown? You just got pulled from a playoff game. I don't think we're making too big of a deal of it. Scott, I think sometimes Tuka, um, you know, says things maybe to just mess with people. I don't really know why he made that I comment. I don't, actually. I, I think Tuka is generally pretty honest. Like, I actually, far more often than not, will take him at his word. And sometimes it hurts him because he's too honest and says what's on his mind, like last year in the playoffs with the crowd. But I don't think Tuga generally lies or hides how he feels. Like I think he's generally fairly honest with that stuff. So when he says it's not where I want it to be, I oh, I I'm take sorry. Him... I, I thought you were talking about the other comment when he said he could play for ten more oh, years. Sorry, no. sorry, I misunderstood that. But yeah, no, I agree with you. He was he was honest in that assessment. Yes, um, I think last night Scott maybe he Cassidy said I assume because maybe um, he's really considering going with Swayman and he kind of wants to be able to sit there and say and save face for the organization and for Tuca um, if we or at least it, not have this media circus happen outside of you know game six in the morning like oh you know just Swayman it would just be this if if he had said you know Tuca's going to be out for game six right. this whole show would just be about Jeremy Swayman like all that anybody would talk about around here would be what's going to happen with Swayman like how things are going to change. It, it would be, I mean, it would be a lot crazier, I think. Just to say he's assuming that it's going to stay the course with Tuca, it kind of keeps it but, from getting out of control. But that, also, but that also opens up the possibility of Cassidy going with Swim in a game six, and then he can say to the media, well, I assumed he would, but it turns out he wasn't able to go physically. And then, so that could be his built-in excuse for going with Swimming, at least publicly, when behind closed doors, maybe it was just a hockey decision. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't I'm know. Really sure. I, I think I think you kind because I don't know. I think you end up sounding kind of foolish if you say I assume he'll be ready and then he's not, and you have to walk that back. But anyways, uh, in real time, 
Bruce Cassidy is about to talk on Tuesday. We are going to take a commercial break at this point in the podcast, and then we'll get back. Let's see if Cassidy says something. Maybe that. Maybe uh, we'll have something else to talk about on the other side of this break. All right, so we are back, and Bruce Cassidy just spoke with the media. Um, Kevin Miller, Brandon Carlo, Curtis Lazar, they will not travel with the team. Aside from that, uh, we're going to get into the goaltending, and Cassidy had this to say regarding Tuca. We're not dissatisfied with Tuca's play. There, there is some health issues. Listen, we know that that he missed some time this year. Okay, We're not going to get into them, where it's at, all those. Does it affect his game? There's also that uh, there's a lot of games in a row he's played, okay? And, and so that, at some point, could be an issue in the playoffs. So there's all, a lot of things that go into it, where we're at in the game, and just sometimes uh, as a – uh, you also make a decision, not for a spark, but okay, considering all these things, is this the time? You know, you look back on it, but I, I'm not going to second guess it, to be honest with you, because it's a decision we felt was the right one. We did it. Uh, we're moving on and and we'll see, uh, you know, who gets the net on uh, in, in game six. All right, Scott, take it away. What'd you think? What'd you make of those comments? Well, I guess it just, it feeds into, I think, what we already feel about Rask, which is that this is, like a pretty touchy situation where they almost have to go day by day in terms of whether he's available, whether he's close to full strength, whether he can get through a whole game. Like the the stuff about the game situ, you know, the game situation factors into it. It's like, well, what does that mean? Because you're you're down four two in the third period. You've already had a two goal third period comeback, so. You know, your, your team wasn't playing poorly, so it's not you're not shaking up the goaltending to wake up the team. I think the Bruins were fairly awake for that game. So you want your best goalie in there when you're trying to come back from a two-goal deficit. So, again, you pulled Rask because you didn't think he was your best goalie in that situation, whether that was because of his performance or injury or both. But it's just... It's such a... Like... It's so hard to get a read on this because, to me, this is why like I'm going with Swayman. Because there just seems to be far too many question marks around Rask. And it's like, if you can't... If you're debating between periods whether he's your best option for the third period, and now you're sitting here saying, you know, a lot goes into it, and again admitting that, yes, he's, you know, battling injury, uh, that's just too many question marks. And... If, like, if I were a player on that team, I don't think I'd want to be going into a game where I'm wondering, like, is my goalie 100%? Is he going to be able to make it through the game? Uh, you know, is he going to get hurt on, like, a save at some point? And if you're the if you're Cassie, if you're the Bruins, like, you don't want to get into an elimination game and then find out during the game that uh, Rask can't quite do what he needs to do to keep the puck out of the net. You know, he's a little slow on that shot or whatever. And again, we haven't seen a lot of that this playoffs. Like there hasn't been many cases where he's been too slow and let something a soft one in. But I just feel like like that's gonna creep into your mind at some point. Like you just have to pull him out of a playoff game, and you're going through day after day where is he taking part in morning skate or is he not? Is he on for practice? Is he not? Is he on for all of practice? Like I would just rather have the healthy option in Jeremy Swayman, who I'm confident is going to get through the game. And the Bruins have all said to a man, including Cassidy, that if they have to go to Swayman, they're going to be confident in him, which they should be. He was great in the regular season, so um, that's fine. 
but show it because to me this is a situation where if you're confident in your number two goalie in Swayman, then you're going to him because I don't know how you could be confident in in Rask not in terms of not even necessarily in terms of performance, but in terms of health getting through a full game. Yeah, and the comments that he made uh, this morning, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, actually I think makes it less clear what the situation is with Tuca rather than more clear because he said there's certain things that he's not going to tell the media that he wants to stay in-house, which means, you know, we're clearly missing more of the equation than we think we are um, or than we thought before. And he also said at the end, we'll see who gets the net in game six. So that's in contrast to what he said after game five, which was that he assumes Tuca will be in. This is I think a step away from that, saying, you know, it, it wasn't one or the other. Now this is, we'll see. So I think that that actually does add, like, more questions. And I, I agree with Scott. If the issue is uh, being kept in-house because it's more, more of a serious injury, I don't know if it's being kept in-house because they're trying to avoid Tuca feeling, like, you know, outed for, for being pulled and, and them switching in a rookie goaltender. I don't really know. I kind of more lean towards it could have to do with an injury they don't want to disclose necessarily. Um, but I think that now there are more questions, Brian. Yeah, I think the thing with Tuga this year is that he has been, overall in the playoffs, I think he's been real good, not great. And I think that, you know, there's reasons for that. I think health is one. Um, I think some, some bad puck luck against the Bruins in both series has been another. But if they want to win this series, they need great in goal. And because of the uncertainty of his health, I don't know if Tuka can be great. I think that you need to let in, at the most, two goals in Game 6 to give the Bruins a chance to win. And I don't know if Tuka, for a very variety of reasons, will be able to do so. Can Jeremy Swayman be great? I don't know. We haven't seen that. Um, we, he hasn't had a chance to. He, from what we've seen of him, he looks like a really good goaltender. But I think that he has a better chance to be great in the next two games for the reason Scott said, which is health. And Jeremy Swayman uh, is the healthy goaltender. And furthermore, guys, we're not even halfway through the Stanley Cup playoffs if the Bruins want to win a Stanley Cup, right? So like I've, we all said it at some point before the playoffs. I didn't envision the Bruins winning a Stanley Cup without Jeremy Swayman taking the net at some point in time for one reason or another and for who knows how long. Um, because of the because of Rask's uh, health, there's a long way to go if the Bruins want to go far. And so I guess to that point, I guess why delay the inevitable, right? I mean, the question that Bruce has to ask himself now is, one game at a time, who gives us the best chance to win Game 6? If you have any doubt that it's Rask, I don't know. Now, Tuca has always played very well in games following a subpar, sub-average performance from him. And if he were healthy, I would have total confidence that he would bounce back. But I don't know how healthy he is. Guys, do you think that we already got our answer in the third period? I think my gut is... My gut says that I think Swayman may take the the net in Game 6. And I think it's going to be a real tough spot for him because of the situation. But I think he has the... Um, mental fortitude to be ready for that. Yeah, I would agree. Sitting here now, if, if I had to predict it, I would predict Swayman. And another interesting part of this is 
it seems to me whatever it is with Rask or however they're making these decisions, I feel like it, it, it look if what Cassie said Monday is accurate and health factored in or maintenance or whatever you want to call it, uh, and it wasn't just about performance, then that to me tells me like look they wouldn't have started Rask if they thought ah oh, man we're not sure he's going to get through a whole game here. Let's just throw him out and see how far he goes. Like, you don't do that because you don't ever want to be bringing in a goalie off a bench in the in the playoffs. So that tells me that on Monday, leading whether, you know, after he took shots in the morning or whatever, uh, leading up to the game, they thought he was good enough to play. That's why he started, because they thought he was good enough to play 60 minutes and beyond. Uh, and things changed, and then he wasn't. So... How like how could you go into Game Six Wednesday? Even if you're thinking like, okay, he looks pretty good this morning. He says he feels good. His stretching's going well. He's doing everything. But like you know, just two nights ago, that it changed during the game at some point. And the last thing you want is to have to make that switch again. Like any any goalie will tell you that they want to start a game. They want to know that they're starting. They want to go in knowing that it's their net uh, rather than come off the bench. So if you think, like, you might have to go to Swayman at some point anyways, then you, you have to start him. Like, then, then he's then he's your goalie. Like, you want to give him as fair a shot as you're going to and let him prepare all day as if he's starting, uh, n- or knowing that he's starting, rather. Because, yes, while it's easy to say, hey, as a backup, you have to prepare the same way every day and you always have to be ready, you know, at a moment's notice – it is different when you when you're told in the morning, Jeremy, you're starting for us tonight. Versus, uh, we're gonna start Tuca, and then, you know, Swayman uh, second period. Okay, hey Jeremy, you're up. Like, that's not especially in an elimination game. Like, you just can't you can't have that happen. And I don't know how you could possibly be confident enough in 48 hours to think, okay, yep, Tuca is definitely good enough to get through. Yeah, and I think guys, you know. It's a weird series. We've talked about it. It's been so frustrating. The Bruins have played. I don't. You can't play a better 18 minutes than they did to start that game last night. They came out flying, and so, you know, the Islanders, everything's gone their way. And this is kind of why I'm a little bit optimistic going into Game Six. But everything's gone their way. They've had they've had the benefit of some calls and non calls. They've had the puck luck. You know, they've been opportunistic. It's it, to me. I just feel like something's gonna go the Bruins' way now. I think the Bruins could give themselves a little mental edge. They need something, right? They need something. I think they need something to give the Islanders to think about. And Cassidy, but Cassidy, just to interject for a second, Cassidy did say the decision wasn't going to be based off needing a spark. Fine, but it's not necessarily even a spark. Mm. Give the Islanders something. The, the, I think the book is out on Rask with the Islanders. They're, they're going high on him. Okay, they know he's going to drop down. They haven't seen Swayman much. They saw him once. I think Swayman beat them at the end of the season. So... It just give if if you can give the Islanders offense something to think about in the back of their heads to maybe alter the way they they, they approach the the net. It just just give them something to think about. Everything's gone their way. Everything they've been outplayed ninety percent of the series, despite the way that they play hard. They've been outplayed and they're up three two in the series. Give them something to think about. I don't know. I just to me, it's it's one of those situations where Rask has to be great. I don't know if he can be with his health. Let 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 swim again to their head. Look, it worked with the for the Islanders. I mean, no, Varlamov was their supposed to be number one anyway. But you you, you start him over Sorokin after game one, 
And that's made a difference. I don't know. I just think that there could be something there. Also, just from a technical perspective, where Swayman is tends to be a more aggressive goalie than Rask, maybe he's out a little further on some of these passes down around the net, and he can get a poke check on it and knock it away, versus Rask tends to sit back a little bit more. And, and that's where you're letting those passes yeah. go through the crease to, you know, Palmieri, Bailey, Pajot, whoever may be sitting down low on the post. So yeah, I see I can see him making a difference in in that like aspect, clearing his crease out a little bit yeah. more. And look, and two of the power play goals that they scored on Rask were guys walking in and, and picking their spot. And Swayman's also going to be more aggressive coming out to challenge those shots. So those guys aren't going to have as much to shoot at. So even just like you know, beyond the all the health stuff and whatever, like there's even a technical case for potentially going to Swayman here. Oh, 100%. Look, I I like Swayman a lot. I love the way he competes. I love the way he cuts down angles and challenges shooters. I, I think he's a great goalie. This isn't just me saying to get Tuka out of that because he sucks. Like I'm saying I don't think Tuka's healthy enough to give you a chance to win these next two games. I don't see it. And the Islanders, for whatever reason, they're having success. They're beating you clean, not often, but they are. And then they're getting a ton of puck luck. Like, it, it's just... The Tuca and Islanders, they're just not going well for the Bruins. I just think just give them a different look. Give give them something to think about and start to plant the seed of doubt. If you start swimming and he play, and he's one of the biggest reasons you win game six, I mean, the Islanders are starting to grip their sticks a little bit now. And, and I think you come back to Boston with all the momentum in the world. Yeah, and the one devil's advocate point just to make that's worth bringing up when it comes to Swayman is not only has he not started a playoff game, he has not played a road game in a full NHL building. There were no full crowds. There was nothing more than 25% in any of his starts in the regular season. Now, he does not strike me as someone who's going to get rattled. So, that, so that wouldn't that wouldn't be my reasoning for not starting him. But, like, it is worth bringing up. It's it's not well, yeah, nothing there's, there's to play. There's question marks on, on how, you know, a rookie goaltender yeah. would respond to that atmosphere for the very first time. But, yeah, he seems to be someone who's really up to the task. I mean... One of the answers he gave that stuck out to me during the regular season was that uh, shootouts are his favorite, which is like, okay, that's the most stressful part of a goaltender, like, that the yeah. job that they have to do. So By the way, stop the likes... breakaway, like, a yeah. minute, 40 seconds say, after entering the game. Welcome to the playoffs, kid. Yeah. And exactly. then the second, the, the goal that Nelson scored right afterwards, again, point blank shot in the slot, total breakdown. But like, yeah, exactly. He, he goes in and relief, stops a breakaway. I mean, I... And he likes that. He likes... He likes high stakes situation. So I can yeah. see him responding well. I mean, there's nothing more high stakes than the Stanley Cup playoffs. So I, I think that his attitude that he brings into the game, I think should help him transition more easily than some other rookie goaltenders would have to go out into Nassau Coliseum and uh, start your first playoff game there. Scott, one last question for you in the goaltending before we jump to one uh, another topic before we head out of here. Uh, Tuca, okay. He goes in. Let's say he does start Game Six. Okay, he has all the weight of Boston on his shoulders, waiting for him to fail, waiting for him to succeed. You, you name it. Okay, if Swayman starts, it's like, hey, this wasn't supposed to be your net. Nothing to lose. Yes, the season, but you want to be blamed if <laughs> yes, you lose. <laughs> but 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 he wouldn't be blamed for that loss. Like you know, it would be on. Well, Tuca couldn't do his job, so he had to go in in relief. And he's a young kid, and it was his first game on the road in the playoffs. He can go in there and kind of play a little bit freely too, especially if he's healthy. These all signs point to maybe go with Swayman. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, you're right. Like it, it lowers some of the stakes. But if you're Cassidy, like you also have to weigh, like we said, the, the inexperience versus Brian, as you mentioned earlier. Rask has won these road games on the road in Game Six, facing elimination. He's done it. Like that's that's not nothing. That can't be discounted. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we've said it. Ultimately, I think I would go with Swayman. That's a huge. But. This is a huge decision. I feel it like is. whatever decision he makes for Game Six is something we're going to be remembering for a long time because this could be, you know, either way we're going to be <laughs> questioning the decision. But uh, especially if they lose. But I think that this could be a, a real turning point in, that we talk about, like maybe years down the road. Yeah. Well, if Swayman comes in and steals it, or or if or if Rask comes in and, and he sticks with Rask and it. it Either, you know, he's clutch or isn't. This is such an important game that this will be something well, that I'd also say remembers. from In terms of like pressure from Cassidy's perspective, not, not that this should be the factor because you can't make coaching decisions like this, but if he starts swimming and they lose, like he has the easy out of, well, we had to pull Tuga the previous game and we just didn't trust where he was at health-wise. Like that, that's a really easy out. Whereas if you start Rask and he struggles or he's not healthy enough to get through the game and you lose, then that's like an all-time second guess and that becomes the stuff that sticks on your resume and people hold against you. Uh, Again, like if you're Bruce Cassidy, ultimately you just make the decision to what Brian said earlier. You make the decision you think gives you the best chance to win. And if, if you honestly believe that that is Tuca, then make that decision but it is worth noting ahead of time, like that's probably the one that brings more second guesses if it goes wrong, for sure. If he starts Tuca, he's going to tell Swayman going into the game, he's on a short leash. If he lets in one bad goal, you're going in. I I, I think Swayman needs to be ready for no matter what. Um, quickly, Curtis Lazar goes out. He won't be traveling to Long Island. Obviously, the defense will remain the same without Miller and Carlo. They also aren't traveling. So... On the bottom six guys, what's your quick fix? I mean, do you put do you put um, Frederick down with Corrali in the middle and Wagner, and then put DeBrusque back or in for Kuhlman, or do you keep Kuhlman? What do you guys think there? Or maybe take out Richie. I, I think I think I would keep Kuhlman. He might have faded a little, but I just I like what he brings in terms of effort. Like that's one guy I just know I don't have to question his effort. I think he's going to bring energy, and his speed can cause problems. He's willing to shoot when he has the puck on a stick. Not a great finisher. It doesn't turn into goals all that often. But, like, at least he's doing good things for the most part when he's out there. Whereas DeBrusque, look, I'd love to say that I'm confident that if you put him back in in an elimination game, he's going to be motivated and he's going to bring it. So, Scar. But I don't know. I mean, they've put him back in before and he hasn't brought it. Are you saying not to put him back in on the fourth line or just not to replace him on the third line? Like, do you see Kuhlman sticking on the third line and then DeBrusque? I see Kuhlman sticking. I see Kuhlman. I'm keeping Kuhlman on the third line. Wagner's my fourth line right wing. And to me, the decision is DeBrusque versus Frederick for fourth line left wing. And I'm I'm probably going DeBrusque just because he's played this postseason. It's been a long time since Trent Frederick has played. I wouldn't hate going with Frederick, but I think I'm probably going Richie, Coyle, Coleman on my third line, DeBrusque, Corrali, Wagner. And then if if things if you need to make a swap, like you can move DeBrusque up for Richie or even for Coleman or whatever. You can change that in-game if you want, but 
I'm probably going that route. Um, so let's let's do this before we get out of here. Um, do we think this is the last the last uh, Bruins specific skate pod of the season? Do you think they're gonna? Because um, you know maybe if they win if they win tomorrow night, maybe we'll do a little brief seven game seven uh, preview. But what do you think? Do you think they pulled off in game six? Do you think they four seven? What do you think, Bridget? I see he's looking at me because neither of us, uh, neither of us have any clue. Like I really, I really thought going into this series that the Bruins were a better team, and like you said, Brian, earlier, they have clearly outplayed uh, the Islanders through most of the series. Uh, but they're at the point where you know those those bad bounces can't go their way anymore, or they go home, and you, there's just no way of saying uh, whether or not they're going to be able to fix the goaltending situation, uh, fix the penalty kill situation and also uh be able to fight off you know the chances that the islanders get off from you know calls or from those lucky bounces it's just it's hard to say it's hard to say confidently that i think that this is gonna end up going to another round for the bruins but i i obviously think they have enough talent to do so i think that I, what else could they do like in the last game except for have a better penalty kill mm-hmm then you know they have it. It's all there. Yep. Um. So it could easily happen, but also there's just it's hard to say. Scott, I so I'm just gonna go with gut feeling. I don't think Wednesday night is the Bruins' last game. I think they pull this off. They, as we said, they've done it before. I think they have been the better team most of the series. I know they have lost games when they've been the better team, but that's. I just think sometimes that stuff tends to even out at some point. And I feel like it could this game. Like one thing again to the like the mental toughness aspect of this Bruins team is I'm fairly confident they're going to bring it. They're going to show up, they're going to play, they're going to come out hard again. And you know, I don't think we're going to be saying like wow, the Bruins just rolled over in game oh, absolutely 6. Not. Uh so I think they're going to bring it and I think some of this Puck luck, some calls are bound to swing in their direction at least a little bit. And I don't think they need a whole lot of help in that area. I think they just need some of it to level off. And I just have a feeling that it will. And I think they're going to, it might be close, but I just have a gut feeling that they pull this off and there's a game seven Friday night at the garden. And hey, wait, Brian's the real psychic. So let's hear what Brian has to say. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Brian, we, Brian yeah, we predicted gone to Brian's prediction. Brian predicted because yeah. of the the mint green Pasternak suit that it was going to be good for two goals and an assist, and he nailed that. So we're going to go mm. to Brian for the prediction. You should really listen to for this. Yeah. Well, good news for Bruins fans. There's going to be a seventh game, uh, and I do believe for a few of the reasons that Scott said. First of all, uh, mainly, like he said, things tend to to balance out. I think. If you look at the five games so far, like, the Islanders have had their fun. They've had their fortune. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, me playing the lottery because of my prediction last night. Like, they have had so much. They've been opportunistic. They've worked hard, but they've been very fortunate. They've gotten the bounces. And I believe that tomorrow night will be one of those games where the Bruins maybe get a bounce off a skate or the Bruins maybe get that that power play that maybe shouldn't have been or 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 whatever. I just think that it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, I think whether it's Tuca or Swayman, I think I'm confident that either goalie will play well because I do think Tuca will bounce back, even if he's injured, and I think that Swayman would rise to the occasion. 
Um, I've seen I've seen him do it so far this year. I think that you should look at Patrice Bergeron for scoring goal, maybe Taylor Hall, but I think the Bruins find a way. You said, Bridget, like, what could they have done better? Like, nothing really. Like, they played so well in that first period last night, and it just didn't go their way. Sometimes it's a game of inches. Marchand was literally inches from making it 2 nothing. Bergeron had a 2-on-1, the puck exploded on his stick. I think, ultimately, you have to sit there and say to yourself, we just keep doing what you're doing, and things will... Things will go our way. Just stick with it. And I think that's what they're going to do. And I think they'll find a way. Sometimes the Islanders found a way last night. They got their asses kicked. They found a way. I think that when Scott says the Bruins are going to come out tomorrow night, like I think they will. It might not look like it was in Game 5. It might not look lopsided because the Islanders will be playing well too. But sometimes that's better. Sometimes that's better for your psyche when like you're not dominating but not also dominating the scoreboard. So I like the Bruins in, uh, in the sixth game tomorrow night. And we'll save the seventh game predictions for then, although I would like their chances in Game 7. I just think, like I said, I always think that 95% of the time, the better team wins over a seven-game series. And I think the Bruins are the better team. Maybe not with their back-end in, uh, injuries. They might not be the better team because that's a big part, but I like the Bruins in six. I'm with my boy, Scotty. You didn't get one yet, so I guess we'll let you off the hook here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't give any. By the way... I feel like yes, obviously things even out, but it's only one. Like it only is one game that has to go bad for them. Like again, and same for the Islanders though. It's gone over and over. It, that's true, but I just it's just hard for me to predict because it, that game five did not go as I expected at all. The outcome does not reflect the performance whatsoever, and that's just kind of what you get with Islanders games. So it's it's a, what makes this really difficult to say for sure. Like oh yeah, yeah game seven is totally gonna happen. I would love it to happen. I'd love to be there. It's going to. I told you it's going it's, to. Oh, yeah. But Put your money on it. <laughs> one one concern, just before we leave, that I would bring up uh, is now with the Islanders at home ice, they get last change again, mm-hmm. which means they're going to get the Peugeot line out against the Bergeron line every chance. And that has been a dramatic difference in what the Bergeron line has been able to do against Peugeot versus against everyone else. And even in Game 5... Cassidy got Bergeron line out against the Nelson Brock Nelson's line a lot, and the Bergeron line dominated that matchup. Cassidy uh, Trotz rather was still able to get the Peugeot line out against him pretty frequently, and that was a much more even battle. So, like that would be one thing that would worry me from the Bruins' perspective is now you're going to have a lot of your top line again in an unfavorable matchup that has basically been playing to a draw, which isn't good when your number one line gets played to a draw by the other team's number three line. So that would be one thing that would concern me, but I still feel like the... Oh, no, I still have that feeling. I still like the Bruins' chances. And I do, too. I feel like even that line, like they're bound to break through in that matchup. I think the Krejci line has had some bad puck luck recently. They've had great chances where they've been robbed or had shots just missed, so... Still feel like there's some stuff to come around there. I think Taylor Hall breaks through tomorrow night. He's been all he's had a good series. He's just you know, cup you know, they, a lot of the Bruins forwards have, and it just hasn't been on the score sheet. You know, outside of the top guys, really. I mean, even Krejci's got a couple goals. I just think it's very rude of the Bruins that they're going to, um, you know, play uh, have the Islanders play their last game at Nassau Coliseum, and the fans won't even know it yet because then they're going <laughs> to lose in Game Seven. So that's just you know that's unfair. You know, I, I had the Bruins in six so that they could give a. Nice handshake line in front of the Nassau fans and give them a reason to say goodbye, but they won't even know it. It's going to be their last game. They won't even know it there. So 
Um, like I said, if they do four seven, maybe we'll we'll uh, reconvene and discuss that. But until then, breathe deep and uh, say your prayers, and let's hope that um, let's hope let's hope that the Bruins get what they deserve because they don't deserve to lose this game in six. Ah, uh, this this series in six. It's they've played they've played better than the Islanders for the most part, and it's just kind of that, that's why it's the most frustrating. It's, that's Islanders hockey. We get it. Um, but it just it's like you look at the Bruins and Kevin Miller's out, Carlos out. They can't. They just can't catch a break. And some, for some reason, the Islanders, aside from Anders Lee, their guys are made of you know steel. Like they just never get hurt. And oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say. Oh, here we go again. Another half hour. Can somebody <laughs> please? Can somebody please put a body on Matt Barzell? I understand he's lightning quick and shifty, but if somebody can catch him clean with a hit, going through the neutral zone or something like that. It'll get him thinking the next time he has to puck. The Islanders just like they're they're too they're getting away too scotch free. Like somebody's gonna somebody's gonna get banged up on that team. Please, for the love of God, even the bal- Craig Smith, Carlo Miller, uh, Lazar, Cal Clutterbuck has hurt half the Bruins roster already. Like, come on now, like let's let's do something. So we we started with Bruce Cassidy Saints comment. And now we have Brian pulling a New Orleans Saints and putting bounties on play. <laughs> no, I hope everybody plays uh, plays well. I just I, I don't like the fact that we had to talk for 45 minutes about officiating because anytime you do that, then you know that they haven't done their job. And I, I just hope that we're not talking about the, the refs um, after game six. I just hope that you know they let the guys play like they were supposed to um, all series. But anyway, we'll get out of here. Uh, that was a nice four-hour podcast. Um, so... Go Bruins. We'll talk to you guys. uh, Win or lose.